Thank you, Shane. Good morning to everybody. Great to be here together today and uh, how blessed we are to be able to come together and worship God and study his word. And we're thankful if you're visiting with us from the area or from afar, if you're traveling, we're thankful to have you here with us today. We pray that you will be blessed and strengthened and encouraged by your time with us as we worship God and study his word. And uh, we just try to be the church here at Sunny Slope, the church that we read about in the Bible. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. If you're visiting, we hope you'll take a moment to fill out a visitor's card from the back of the seat in front of you and just leave it on your seat so we have a record of your presence here today. As North said, uh, last Sunday I began the first in a series of lessons that I've just tagged or labeled basic Bible teachings. And these are basic teachings from God's word that certainly everybody ought to know, and especially those who would call themselves Christians. And we need to have the clarity of understanding as to what the Bible teaches on these very basic fundamental teachings. Now last Sunday, as, as we began this particular series, I talked about perhaps the most basic and most fundamental of all Bible teachings. And that's simply belief in God. Belief in God. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, the Hebrews writer said, Without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who would come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We noted that it doesn't get any more basic, any more fundamental than the very first verse of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Right there, first verse in the Bible, God is highlighted in his creative power. And what he did, then as you look at the rest of that chapter, he, he, he brings into existence all of animal life, plant life. He puts everything in this world and in the universe in order and then comes down to the very end, the crown of his creation as I like to think of it, he brings mankind into existence. Created uniquely from everything else that he created and that he created us in his image according to his likeness, Genesis 1 and verse 26. You don't get any more basic, you don't get any more fundamental than belief in God. That's the very first point of understanding when we're talking about basic Bible teachings. Understanding God, everything else comes after, and everything else comes as a result of that. Well, in our second lesson, what is just as basic, just as fundamental as is faith in God? Faith in Christ. Faith in Christ is just as basic, just as fundamental of all Bible teachings as faith in God. Understanding God, we need to understand Jesus. Now, John chapter 4 and verse 41, after Jesus has had that discourse with what we call the woman at the well in John chapter 4, and he reveals himself to her as being the Savior she goes off into her city and she starts talking to the men of the city and saying, you know, you need to come and hear someone who has told me all things about me or basically told me things that, I, that, that he has no, no way of knowing. And so the men start streaming out of the city to come to hear Jesus. 
Now, first, they told, she told them, surely this must be the Christ. Surely this must be the Messiah prophesied in Old Testament scripture. Surely this must be the Savior come to earth. Well, in verse 41, we see their response after they have come and listened to Jesus themselves firsthand. And so they tell the woman, First, the text tells us many more believed because of his own word, that is, the teachings of Jesus himself to those men as they came out of the city. And they, they said to the woman, now we believe, not because of what you said, not just based solely on your testimony, but we believe for we ourselves have heard him and we know. We know, notice that emphatic statement, we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. We have to come to that understanding. We need to understand that important statement. We know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. They had listened to his teachings personally. Now, in chapter 14 and verse 1, Jesus, on the night of his betrayal, trying to to prepare his apostles for his crucifixion the next day on the cross, and then his burial in the tomb at the end of that day, and then his resurrection on the third day, and then ultimately 40 days later, he's going to ascend back into heaven and leave them with their mission to go on teaching his gospel message that he brought from heaven itself. And so he tells them, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Do you see these two most basic and fundamental of all Bible teachings? Belief in God and belief in Christ. You believe in God Believe also in me. And then, just as we can understand that if we do not believe in God, we have no hope. If we do not believe in Jesus, likewise, we have no hope. In John chapter 8 and verse 24, Jesus speaking, he says, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. Now, he's not making a pronouncement that everybody's going to die in their sins. He's not telling those people who are listening to him in that particular occasion, in that setting, you all are going to die in your sins. Just a blanket statement. But he's, he gives the reason, and he's talking from a general perspective. He says, therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins for if, and there's the qualifier, if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So he's telling all of humanity, those standing before him on that particular occasion, but all of humanity for all time, I'm the Savior. I'm your only Savior. If you do not believe in me, you have no hope. You stand condemned. In the 12th chapter of John, verse 48, he talks about his teachings. If we're going to believe in Jesus, we've got to believe his teachings. And so he says, he who rejects me does not receive my words, has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will will judge him in the last day. He says, I've come teaching God's word. I've come teaching the way of salvation and eternal life in heaven. And if you don't believe that teaching, there is no other teaching for you that can guide you to that forgiveness and eternal life. 
If you do not believe that I am here, you're going to die in your sins. If you don't believe my teachings, you're going to die in your sins. I came bringing the message of forgiveness, redemption, and salvation. Sent by the Heavenly Father from the throne room in heaven. If you reject me as the Savior, you've rejected your only hope. If you reject my teachings, you've rejected your only hope. The two go together. It's a package deal, so to speak. The Bible literally leaves no room for faith in God without also having faith in Christ. Now you might say, well, sure, that ought to be a no-brainer. But you see, there are massive religious groups in this world, even, to, even today, who would say they believe in God, but they do not believe in Jesus as God the Son, our Lord and Savior. The two go together. That is truly a package deal. The Bible leaves literally no room for faith in God that leaves out faith in Christ as our Lord and Savior. Now, just as with faith in God, there can be no compromise, no compromise on faith in Christ as our Lord and Savior. Just as is God, so Christ is eternal by nature. And in this particular study, we're going to note the parallels between God the Father and God the Son. In John chapter 17 and verse 5, we read, And now, O Father, and this, by the way, this setting is the night of his, of his betrayal. Christ is praying to the Father. In fact, the, just about the entire 17th chapter of John is a prayer by Jesus. And he prays for his, first he, he prays to the Father about his, he's finished his work that God has sent him to do. He prays for the apostles, and then he prays for all who would ever become his faithful, obedient followers, Christians, us today included in that prayer. And so he prays in verse five and he says, now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory, notice this, which I had with you before the world was. Now remember, we emphasized when we studied the first of the most basic Bible teachings in God's word, God, belief in God, he is eternal by nature. And as I said, we, we can kind of grasp the idea of time without end and eternity. But when you think about time without beginning, that's also part of eternity. And we have a tough time with that. Figuring that out, understanding it fully. But God is eternal by nature, without beginning, without end. And here Jesus said, I had that glory with you before the world was. We come to understand he also is eternal by nature. Now, think about this. As we study several scriptures, John chapter 1, verse 3. I appreciate Shane reading verses 1 through 3 a few moments ago. But look at verse 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Now, we look at verse 14, and the word is identified obviously and clearly as being 
Christ. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. So when we go all the way back to Genesis chapter one, all the way back, and we look at verse 26 again, where when God came to the point of creating mankind, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. You have three plural pronouns in that particular statement. Us and our is used twice there. Who is the us that he's referring to? When we look at, at once we get to verse 3 in chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1, it appears that God is, is, is creating everything, going through the creating process. But remember what we read here in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Christ was right there with him in the creating process, taking part, bringing about all of the creation. If you go back to verses 2 and 3 in Genesis chapter 1, the Holy Spirit is identified as being there. So you have the fullness of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so we can understand that Christ is included in that plural pronoun, us, and that one, our. He was right there with God in the beginning, again, eternal by nature. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16, by him all things were created, speaking of Christ. By him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether, they're, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And again, that's speaking of Christ. In Hebrews chapter 1, beginning with verse 1, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, right there in the creation process. Right there together, bringing about what we look around us and see as the creation. Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, speaking of Christ again. He is before all things, and in him all things consist. Revelation chapter 1. Notice, I want to look at at some references here that Christ makes to himself. And they are exactly the same references that we read being made of God as, as to identity. So in Revelation 1 and verse 8, and notice again, this points to his eternal nature, just as God is eternal. God the Father, God the Son is just as eternal. God the Holy Spirit, just as eternal. And so Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. In the Greek alphabet, that means I am the A and the Z, as compared to our English alphabet. It's the first letter and the last letter in the Greek alphabet. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end, says the Lord, 
who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, all of those points of description and identification are made of the Father. And Jesus here is making them as pertaining to himself as well. In verse 17 of Revelation chapter 1, John says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, speaking of Christ. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. Now you can read this also in, Genesis, in, in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 13. In fact, it combines three different references. And when you compare them to passages of scripture, such as Isaiah 41 and verse 4, Revelation 4 and verse 8, Revelation 11 verses 16 and 17, they are the exact same references that are made to God the Father. And here they are made to God the Son. He is eternal by nature, just as God the Father is eternal by nature. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1, John the Apostle, speaking from personal experience, he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, which and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. And remember who that descriptive term is applied to in John's gospel account in chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 and verse 14. It's applied to Christ. John says we were there with him. We're not talking about second or third or fourth hand, you know, testimonies of somebody. We were there. We walked with him for three years. We saw him. We touched him. We listened to his teachings personally. The word of life we've seen with our eyes. He was from the beginning. And they learned all of that by being with Christ in person, each one of them themselves. Christ is full deity. He is equal one with God. He is God the Son. Now, I was doing some recording with somebody else this past week, and, and he was bringing up this subject about what often is referred to as the Trinity or the Godhead. And, and he was saying, you know, how can we explain this, basically? And I said, you know, I can give you some illustrations, and he understood those. He'd, he'd heard those himself, basically. You know, we think of an egg, we look at an egg, we're looking at the shell, we call it an egg. We break the egg and now we've got the yolk and the white, we still call it an egg. We might separate the yolk from the white, we still say I'm going to have an egg today for breakfast. We can look at all kinds of things and he used the example of water. You've got liquid water and then you've got frozen water and then you've got steam when it's heated up enough and it's all water. But all of those, because they are of this world and they are natural kinds of phenomena, they pale by comparison. We, they, they just help us get an idea of how there can be three in one. And so the scripture tells us, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And so we see God as God the Father. We see God as God the Son. We see God as God the Holy Spirit. Three, but one, one God. And Christ is full deity. He is equal. He is one with God. He is God the Son. In John chapter 14, beginning with verse 8, as again the night of the betrayal of Jesus, 
and he's preparing the apostles. I'm leaving you. I'm going to go be with the Father. And where I go, you know. And Philip, he speaks up. And he says, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Now again, I'm not going to begin to suggest to you that I understand all of the depths of what Jesus told Philip there, or all of the depths of of. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit being one God. When we get to heaven, I think we'll understand clearly. And we'll probably kind of hit ourselves in the forehead and say, why didn't I understand that? Of course, it makes all the sense in the world. But here, Jesus tells Philip, I've been with you all this time. And you still say, show, me the fa- show us the Father. When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 5, the Apostle Paul, and what an incredible treatise. You begin with, chapter, with verse 5, you read down on through verse 9, but we're just going to look at verses 5, 6, and 7 here. And so Paul wrote, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Now that particular phrase, who did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, difficult to translate clearly and effectively as we would like for it to be into English from the Greek. Another translation says, did not consider it that equality a thing to be grasped or held on to. And so the point is in this particular particular statement that Christ in becoming man, he gave up his position in heaven right there with God the Father and God the Spirit. And so in becoming human, he allowed himself to be made a little lower than the angels, as the Hebrews writer talks about in Hebrews chapter 2. Now, think about this. The word translated form, being in the form of God, in the Greek, it conveys the idea that what is seen, speaking of Christ, is the true image, the true image of whatever is in view, and that's God. So, when it says being in the form of God, the express image, the true image of God himself. Again, difficult for us to completely wrap our minds around that because we live in finite physical bodies with beginnings and ends and we're talking about the spiritual realm. But we see God the Son as being God the Son. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory, speaking of Christ being the brightness of God's glory, and the express image of his person, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This text refers to Christ being the express image of God's person. So, Christ was right there in the beginning in the creation process with God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. He is eternal by nature, as is God the Father, 
God the Holy Spirit. And Paul referred to Christ as being eternally blessed God. The eternally blessed God. Look at the verse here. Paul writes, and he's writing God's word. Romans 9 and verse 5. Of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, the eternally blessed God. Amen. Interesting. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Christ came in the flesh justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up to glory. My, what a glorifying kind of, of description or just a summary of Christ, God the Son, coming to this world as our Savior. So he in his physical body, being fully divine but fully human at the same time, could go to that cross and suffer all of those torturous uh, steps that were taken against him, the, the, you know, the whip being laid across his back till his back obviously was bloody and bruised, the crown of thorns being pushed down on his head and obviously that breaking the skin and blood trickling down his face being laid upon that cross and having his arms stretched out and the nails driven through his hands and his feet. And then think about that cross being levered up so that it would finally slide down into that hole that would hold it upright and how that must have jarred at his hands and feet and those nails fastening him to that wood. He did all of that as a human being and still as the savior of all mankind, God the Son, so that we, through his sacrifice, his perfect one time for all time sacrifice, Hebrews 7 and verse 27, so that we could have the opportunity through him to be forgiven, to be redeemed, to be saved, to have eternal life in heaven with him and God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Titus 1 in verse 3, Paul writing again, but has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. Look at how many of these texts of Scripture bring together God the Father and God the Son by way of identity. Christ is God's only begotten Son as he sent him into the world being born of the Virgin. Christ is God's only begotten Son. He is our Savior. He is our only Savior. John 3.16, perhaps the most familiar verse in the entire Bible for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then in verse 18, it repeats basically, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. First John chapter 
4 and verse 14. John the Apostle writing, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Savior of the world. Talk about a loving God. Talk about a benevolent God. Talk about a merciful and gracious God. Remember how Peter put it in 2 Peter 3 and verse 9. God is long-suffering, that is, patient toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He sent Christ into this world with the gospel message of salvation to the cross as the perfect sacrifice to pay the price for the guilt of our sins so that we could come to repentance and forgiveness through Christ our Savior. Philippians chapter 2, verse verse 8. Speaking of Christ, being found in appearance as a man, he came again in human form, fully human, while still fully divine. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. He did that for us. Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse 19 It pleased the Father that in him, in Christ, all fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind and by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh, dying on that cross. In the body of his flesh, we have the opportunity to be reconciled to God, brought back into that right relationship with him, forgiven of our sins. He did that through his death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Jesus, the Christ, bore our guilt. He paid our price for our sins on that cross. Hebrews 9 and verse 28, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Oh my. It does not get any more basic again than God the Father and God the the Son, God the Creator, God the Savior. doesn't get any more basic in all of the teachings that the Bible brings forth than these two basic fundamental teachings from God's Word. There's no way to God except through Christ. That's how basic is belief in Christ. It does not matter how many millions or billions of people say, well, we believe in God, but we don't believe in Jesus as the Savior. We don't believe he's God the Son. There's no way to God except through Christ. No way at all. Remember what Jesus said in the night of his betrayal. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is salvation in no other except through Christ. Luke 19 and verse 10, he said, 
The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That was his mission on this earth. Acts 4 and verse 12, speaking of Christ, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So what about those who believe in some other redeemer, some other Messiah? Millions and billions believe in something other than Jesus. There is no way to God except through Christ. There is no Savior except Christ himself. What a blessing. What a blessing to have such a Savior who still... Looking down upon humanity from heaven itself and seeing how so many have turned away from belief in God, away from belief in Christ, and he still calls us to come to him for forgiveness, for salvation, for eternal life with him in heaven. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for, I, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You will find rest for your souls. I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. People are groping around for direction. They're groping around for meaning. They're groping around for something to fill that massive hole in their lives and in their hearts. And they're looking in all kinds of wrong places. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Paul talked about in Philippians 4 and verse 7. The peace of God that passes understanding will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus is saying, come to me, and there's no way to God except through me. Are you ready to come? Are you at that point? Do you need to talk to somebody? Do you need to study with somebody? Do you need prayer? Won't you come as we stand and sing together?